0: Today's episode is supported by Vivo Barefoot, whose mission is very close to my heart. There's something incredibly powerful about feeling the ground beneath your feet. It's more than just like walking or running, it's about forming a connection with the earth, a connection that most modern footwear has unfortunately severed. Vivo Barefoot aims to mend this disconnect by making footwear that's wide, thin and flexible, enabling natural movement. Born from a long lineage of cobblers, Vivo Barefoot carries a rich heritage of craftsmanship and a deep understanding of what makes footwear truly beneficial for us. Enjoy the discount code HARVEST15. Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet. An event founded by Burak Eumann and Roman Karel.
1: I think it's increasingly understood that the model that we've used for so long is failing that it's good for acute illness if you got hit by a car, if you, have, you need a surgery or something, you know, you need a new hip, great. <laughs> but for most chronic illnesses, which are rising, there's really a diminishing returns on the investment in medication and all the technology we have. So we're seeing more and more advanced in medicine, but less health.
0: I am Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona And this episode is an interview made in Kaplan with Dr. Mark Hyman, a practicing physician and internationally recognized leader in the field of functional medicine. Dr. Mark Hyman is sparking a health revolution with an emphasis on the power of real food. He created The Pagan Diet, a mix of vegan and paleo, focusing on eating meat, seafood, fresh fruits and vegetables. In this episode we'll discuss about wine, meat, supplements, processed food, the health retreat Mark organized with Harvest, his childhood and what should be done to improve the food system. But my first question to him was a challenge. I asked him to give a short definition of functional medicine.
1: Functional medicine is not a specialty, it's a new way of thinking about disease and about health. Basically, it's a science of creating health. Traditional medicine is the science of disease, and functional medicine is the science of health. Instead of asking what disease do you have, we ask why. What are the root causes? Do
0: you have an example for a specific disease? Yeah.
1: And we also also think about uh, the body very differently as a system. It's one integrated system. We treat the system not the symptoms. And we understand that there's predisposing factors, that toxins, stress, genetics, various insults that your body can have, and our lifestyle factors all influence these basic biological systems in our body, these networks. And they have to be in balance for us to be healthy. Our gut, our immune system, our energy system, how we detoxify, our transportation system, circulation, our communication systems, hormones, neurotransmitters, in our structural system, and those all are influenced by various kinds of predisposing factors and exposures, toxins, allergens, microbes, stress, poor diet, that also interact with our genes, and then all these lifestyle factors. So the goal of functional medicine is to figure out how to recreate balance in the body by taking out the bad stuff and putting in the good stuff, and activating the body's own innate healing system. So I'll give you an example. I had a patient uh, came to see me a number of years ago who had uh, multiple problems. I joke, I say I'm a holistic doctor because I take care of people with a whole list of problems. (laughs) Instead of every doctor for every part of your body and every symptom having a different specialist, we take care of everything. So this patient had an autoimmune disease, psoriatic arthritis which is a terrible skin disorder, but also the joints inflamed and it's very, very harmful. And she was on a major drug, which cost $50,000 a year to suppress her immune system. She also had irritable bowel syndrome. She had what we call SIBO, bloating, bacterial overgrowth. She had reflux, heartburn. She had depression. She was pre-diabetic. She was overweight. She had migraines. And so she was seeing all the top specialists.
0: Feeling quite uh, bad, yeah. Yeah,
1: at the top hospital, one of the top hospitals in the world. And she was getting the best treatment for each of these conditions based on the traditional model. But nobody asked, how are these all connected? Why is she having these problems? And for me, these were all diseases of inflammation. Was she seeing
0: a psychiatrist too?
1: Yes, and she got an antidepressant for her depression. She got medicine from the endocrinologist for her pre-diabetes. She had medicine from the gastroenterologist for her stomach and a reflux and her bowel. She had medicine for her psoriasis and arthritis from the rheumatologist, right? So she was seeing, and she was <laughs> a lot of medication. And nobody said, how are all these connected? All of these conditions, you know, weight, gain, diabetes, migraines psoriasis irritable bowel reflux are all diseases of inflammation
0: so how did you start
1: so instead of saying how do i shut off inflammation i said why is there inflammation we know that 60 percent of the immune system is in the gut and she had many digestive symptoms so i said okay let's start with healing your gut we'll take out all the inflammatory foods so we took out gluten dairy sugar processed food alcohol and then we cleared out her gut with medication to clear out the bad bugs because so she had overgrowth of bacteria in her gut and we gave her non-absorbed antibiotic and antifungal. I gave her some probiotics to help rebuild her gut. I gave her fish oil, vitamin D, very simple thing. So basically elimination diet and a gut repair. Six weeks later, she comes back. I didn't tell her to do this, but she stopped all her medication. Her psoriasis was gone, her arthritis was gone, her migraines were gone, she lost 20 pounds, her prediabetes was gone, her depression was gone, her reflux was gone, her irritable bowel was gone. Now, I didn't treat any of those diseases. I just took care of helping reset and normalize her gut function. And took out all the inflammatory. Stuff. So I took out the bad stuff, put in the good stuff, and the body healed. So traditional medicine has no way to get to that answer given the current paradigm. So functional medicine is a major paradigm shift in the way we think about things. So it's the same as the earth is flat. Oh no it's not flat. Or we used to think the earth was the center of the universe and the sun revolved around the earth. And then we said no no, no. I mean evolution, you know, that species evolve, they don't just show up like in their current form. So A lot of the scientific changes take a long time to get accepted. Even evolution now, 150 years later, there are people who think it's not true. And uh, even the Earth is flat. There are people who who think still the Earth is flat.
0: (laughs) Do you feel like ahead of your time or uh, not enough recognized?
1: I think it's increasingly understood that the the model that we've used for so long is failing. That it's good for acute illness if you got hit by a car, if you have need a surgery or something you know you need a new hip a great <laughs> but for most chronic illnesses which are rising there's really diminishing returns on the investment in medication and all the technology we have so we're seeing more and more advanced in medicine but less health
0: you said you looked at the gut of the patient uh, what are the tools you're using generally
1: so you know Typically, traditional medicine looks at pathology. You know, what you can see in a microscope. By the time you see some end stage of pathology, there's just so many biochemical and functional changes that happen that precede that. So we look at more functional testing. For example, we look at a stool test. And the stool test will tell us, how are your digestive enzymes? Is there inflammation? Are you producing the right kinds of metabolites from the healthy gut bacteria called short-chain fats? Do you have the right balance of bacteria in there? Are there parasites? So we get a very good idea of what's happening there. Or we might do a, a breath test to see if there's overgrowth of bacteria. We might do food sensitivity testing. We might look at tests for leaky gut where there's changes in permeability. Uh, we look at food, like gluten antibodies. So we look at a bunch of things that tell us what the story is about the gut so for example yesterday i saw someone who's had chronic constipation for years and years maybe goes every four days who's doesn't feel well with many fatigue issues and chronic problems turns out he has a parasite he has low levels of an important bacteria called acromantia which is important for preventing a leaky gut and immune function he had you know all these sort of imbalances in the in the type of bacteria so he wasn't producing all the important fuel for his intestinal cells because he had the wrong bacteria and this is not hard to fix if you know what to look at but it's not what traditional doctors look at
0: Just before harvest kicked off in Kaplankaya a health retreat was organized by Mark Hyman and Harvest for some harvesters interested in functional medicine. During five days The guests were following Mark's advice and doing some treatments like messages, exercises or even intravenous IVs with a view to the agency. I could talk to Julia and Katerina after the retreat.
2: Basically the day was like super packed. We started every day with uh, yoga or a walk. Then there was some um, supplements uh, with a drink, and then the, his lecture usually started, which lasted for one hour and a half. And then afterwards we had a veggie broth, and uh, we went off, each of us, to some other kind of treatment. So it could be uh, massage or IVs. Uh, we're taking different like vitamins, uh, NAD+, um, it's like a molecule and then we went on uh, with cell gym which is kind of a breathing oxygen type of treatment and so on and then in the evening we had a dinner like lunch was in between as well which was super healthy and then in the evening there was like a meditation but I think the core of it was basically to cut out carbs and um, also protein and everything that you know should um, not be part of um, kind of if you want to get into ketosis so with that our, our kind of meals were very, very light, full of green. Very, very tasty. Very tasty. Very tasty. yes. Very tasty. But he was not uh, to cut off the proteins, not at all. Just yeah, it's true. So it was mm. fish. We had yeah. fish, yeah. Uh, seafood. No seafood. meat. No meat during the t- detox program. No yeah. meat, but in, no dairy, no eggs. Uh-huh. But we had fish. We had um, seafood. Seafood, yes.
0: Did you find it hard? No. No.
2: With the terms of food? Easy. No. No. And, uh, for example, what we're not used in our daily life, we always go dine out or at home pretty late. Here we had dinner from 6 to 7, and then followed by meditation from 7.30 to Mm 8.30. Of course, you can't live your life like this, but it was so healthy, you feel so light when you eat early. And then with this meditation, it was a whole program designed to really wake up your spirits and um feel more energized how did your body change well i think for at least for me um within the five days what was very noticeable is that the first two three days i felt really bad meaning uh, uh low energy i was just sleeping couldn't you know really exercise properly and so on So the body, I think, went went in to start the, the details and the cleanse and I had a massive headache even though we had to cut coffee and so on before we even came here, sugar. So, I, I, you know, I shouldn't have like that, but I had a massive migraine the second day. And then from the third day, you know, I started feeling great. Like I saw colors and just uh, everything was positive and um, so I, I just recognized that like significant shift in, in like the body. Wow. The sleep was way better. The first two days, it was just really horrible um, and so on. So, yeah, I think that's how I felt throughout.
0: I asked Mark Hyman to tell me more about the concept of this retreat.
1: What's really remarkable is that in a very short time, when you set the right conditions for the body and the mind, there can be tremendous healing. So, and I'll explain the program in a minute, but we basically have people fill out a questionnaire of all their symptoms before and score them like zero to four. Like, do you have a headache? Is it you know light or is it severe With four? And we do this for everything, for digestion, sleep, insomnia, every kind of symptom. And then you get a score. And then at the end of the five, six days, we do it again. And the changes are remarkable. In such a short time, there's a 70% reduction in all symptoms from all diseases. Wow. Which is like, it sounds like a miracle mm-hmm. and crazy, but actually I've done this program many, many times, and it's always the same result. And the program essentially is... is
0: yeah, what's your secret? <laughs> it's
1: not that much of a secret, honestly. <laughs> It's eating whole food that's full of nutrients that are medicine. So food is medicine is the fundamental principle. So we take out the things that are harmful and we put in the good things. So we take out sugar and dairy and gluten and processed food and we eat whole foods that are anti-inflammatory, that help the gut microbiome. We provide a basic set of supplements, not something fancy, but basic supplements like vitamin D and fish oil and a multivitamin and some also things for mitochondria and energy. Uh, In our program, we had some additional things we offered, such as intravenous nutrition, and we do vitamins and minerals, and also glutathione, which is a main detoxifier. And we also gave NAD. NAD is a, a compound that we're now researching for longevity. That's something the body makes, but in low levels. Uh, in the body, it, it leads to a, rapid aging, inflammation, DNA damage, mitochondrial energy issues. Then one patient had Parkinson's disease, and we gave her the IV of NAD. And this is something that's been studied and it's shown in other research. It's not the new idea. And the NAD helps with the energy in the cells. And my Parkinson's is an energy problem in the brain. And within one treatment, she she had a tremor. It went away. And then, you know, it doesn't mean it will stay away, but if we, if we continue to support her and figure out the causes...
0: treatment, yes.
1: It's basically a way of supporting the body to function better. So most traditional medicine is, a, is inhibiting or blocking or stopping something in the body. We have these drugs, beta blockers, ACE inhibitors, antagonistic drugs that inhibit or block or, or something. Functional medicine is about how do we support the normal functions of the body. So NAD doesn't block anything. It actually is part of the body's own system that gets depleted and we provide it and the body can repair and heal and it's like giving something the body needs to thrive.
0: Okay, so the food you gave to these people during the retreat was um, were following your pagan diets?
1: It was primarily based on the pagan diet, but we also did a, more of a detoxifying diet. So we, we really were more extreme in taking away grains and beans, all dairy, you know, sugar.
0: Inflammatory things.
1: Anything that potentially can be inflammatory. That's not saying all grains are bad or beans are bad. It's just if people are sick and they have gut issues, which a lot of people do, these can be very difficult for people to digest until they heal their gut. And so once you, once you heal the body, it becomes more resilient and flexible, and you can tolerate more things, but it's good to kind of go more extreme in the beginning and then add things back. So then the part of the program when they leave is to add things back slowly so they can introduce things and say, oh, I'm fine if I eat you know, dairy, but if I eat gluten, I feel sick. Or I'm fine if I eat grains but no not if i eat beans i'll feel sick or so the body once it's reset and it's clean then there's a much clearer ability to understand what to see what's wrong
0: with you because if
1: you're all the time eating something or drinking something and you just feel like crap all the time you don't actually know what it is but when you stop it and you let the body reset and then you add it in you'll have a more severe reaction you'll go oh i have a headache this caused me or People say, oh, I I noticed I wasn't eating dairy, and now I eat dairy, and I'm all congested, and my sinuses are congested, and I didn't know that before. The other part of the program, we do yoga, we do body work, we do saunas, we do something called the Cell Gym, which is a way of putting the body in a state of low oxygen and then high oxygen, and that helps to reset the mitochondria and the energy system. So it's a whole series of therapies designed to collectively create healing in the body.
0: Not only about the food. Not only about okay. that. Uh, regarding the food, as uh, a meat is uh, in the vegan diet is allowed. Mm-hmm. How much, what proportion of, uh, so, of meat you know, or typ- proteins, yeah. uh, animal proteins?
1: So typically, you know, most of the protein in America, and increasingly the world, is industrial meat. It's made on factory farms, the cows are fed grains, they're given antibiotics, they're given hormones. It's, it's bad for the animals in terms of the living conditions. The meat is in the high quality, it has all these other problems with it. And and it also contributes to climate change because of the destruction of agriculture and the the methane and so forth. So there's a different form of agriculture called regenerative agriculture that is about restoring the ecosystems and including animals and the ecological cycles. And they're eating grass and they're eating a wide variety of plants that are medicinal. Their meat is is very different. They're full of phytochemicals. They're full of omega-3 fats and more minerals and antioxidants and the quality is much better. So in one study, for example, in Australia, they can easily get kangaroo meat. They study the same amount of kangaroo meat versus a feedlot meat in, in the individuals. You know, one individual, and then they swapped and let them eat the other meat, and they found that when they eat the feedlot meat, like the industrial meat, they have lots of inflammation. When they eat the kangaroo meat, it goes down. So it's the quality matters. So in that sense, you know, as, as we you know, look at uh, you know dietary proteins, there, there's a, a need for the protein to be able to help you build muscle and and the muscle building um, components of protein um, certain amino acids in particular one called leucine which is what we call a branched chain amino acid if leucine is low it's hard for the body to make muscle so in plant proteins it's very low so either you have to eat a lot of plant proteins like you know you have to take a protein shake because you can't get it from eating enough okay. beans or grains. Okay, or take grains.
0: supplements or... Uh, you
1: yeah. can take supplements and amino acids, yes. So, Or you have to eat higher quality protein. And we know from the studies, this is not an opinion, this is really well-produced research, that you, 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 know, vegetable protein or plant protein is the lowest quality protein in terms of muscle synthesis. The next would be like fish and then chicken and then red meat. So if you want to build muscle, you need to eat muscle. <laughs> and so how much you need, it depends on your activity level, what you're doing... Your size, typically it's the size of the palm of your hand, three times a day. So if you're a big person, it's bigger. If you're a small person, it's smaller. I think Um, it's
0: quite a lot in a way. It's quite a
1: lot. It's more than you think. So the minimum amount is 0.8 grams per kilo. This is according to the minimum amount. But that's like, how much vitamin C do you need to not get scurvy? Not very much. How much vitamin C do you need for optimal health and immune function? A lot more. How much vitamin D do you need to not get rickets? Maybe 30 units, 40 units. How much you need to make your immune system work better and to build bones and to stay healthy long-term and prevent cancer, maybe 5,000. So I think we, we kind of misunderstood protein. And probably for the average person, you know, 1.2 grams per kilo if you're really active, 1.5, 1.8, even two if you're a super athlete. And and as we get older, it's more important.
0: Uh, even more important. more
1: yeah. Way more. And even even scientists who say it's better to eat plant proteins younger always say it's it's important to eat animal protein when you're older and have more protein. Because there's a great story of a a woman who uh, lived to be 117 years old. And when she was young, she had anemia, her doctor said, eat three eggs a day. She did that. And then when she was in her 80s or 90s, she started to become weak. The doctor said, okay, eat 150 grams of raw meat a day.
0: (laughs) Raw meat. (laughs) Raw meat, (laughs) I don't know,
1: I wouldn't eat raw meat. Ended up, uh, she ended up doing this, and she lived to be 117 years old. We know that, that uh, our ability to make muscle declines as we age, and if you add the right amount of protein, the right quality protein, and you add an exercise, you can maintain muscle mass. So I'm 62, I have more muscle mass than I did at 50, than I did at 40, and I'm, because I'm learning how the body works, and the science is advancing, and I'm able to combine the right kind of quality protein with the right exercise, and it's amazing to see how at any age your body can respond powerfully to the inputs.
0: We're always uh, listening to stories also with an old grandmother having a glass of uh, whiskey or gin after dinner, and that puts her in great condition. What's your view on alcohol? (laughs) Well,
1: Madame Clément, is the oldest woman who ever lived, French, a French (laughs) woman, she was 122 years old. When she died, she smoked and she drank. (laughs) Now, that doesn't mean it's healthy, it just means that She was very lucky. She probably had certain genes that made her uh, have dramatic longevity. And um, there's a a particular gene. We we joke and we call it the jackpot gene, like winning the jackpot. Ah,
0: okay. Which
1: which is a gene that uh, is, is... I'm lucky I have one copy of the gene. I don't have two copies. She probably had two copies. It's very rare. Okay. Uh, But those people are the ones who can smoke and drink and not exercise and do whatever they want and live to be 120, right? Okay, but not to follow them if you don't have the lucky genes. Not (laughs) most of us. Not most It's a very rare gene. Uh, And so you have to be very smart about identifying your own particular biology and what's happening. Also, she grew up in an era where there was no pesticides, chemicals, chronic stress. I mean, like... The biology of these people is, is, is determined by what was going on 100 years ago and how they developed. And now the average babies are so pre-polluted, they're so toxic, and the diet is so poor. I mean, there wasn't even processed food back then. Yeah, true.
0: Coffee, tea, wine, a glass of wine, is it so allowed? Coffee, to yeah, it? coffee
1: is you know—is not a bad thing. For some people, it's very stimulating. And it can create a lot of stress and sleep disruption. But I'm not against coffee. I think you know, too much is a problem. People just drink, drink, drink all day. That's not good. Uh, Tea, the same thing. Tea can be actually more healthy, and particularly green tea, because there's a lot of special, special compounds in there called catechins, and they help to prevent cancer and to increase glutathione and detoxify your liver and many, many things. And then alcohol, like you said, you know, I think... It really depends i think you have to look at the amount and the quality and what the rest of your diet and life is but but the data is becoming increasingly clear that you know we know alcohol is a poison right so and and what is the right dose for you it's different for everybody but okay it can often it's a lot of know.
0: sugar in a way you know well
1: it, spirits are low right that's a one ounce of spirits five ounces of wine or 10 ounce of beer the beer and the wine have more sugar and carbohydrates and more likely to cause problems and more uh, the spirits are less so but in women, it's particularly a problem because even one glass of wine a day, which doesn't seem like that much, can increase the risk of breast cancer by 40% because of how it affects the liver and estrogen. Only one glass a day. Only one glass wow. a day. So wow. I, you know, I don't think alcohol is really a health food. But, you know, enjoyed occasionally, I think it's fine.
0: I guess you were more used to um, treating American people here during the retreat. What did you observe? Uh, Because the people, it's more mixed and uh, European. What did you observe? I mean, I
1: I think uh, Europeans are far more aware of food culture. And, you know, there's, there's traditional ways of cooking, eating, preparing food. In America, we don't have anything. It's like fast food, processed food. There's no, I mean, apple pie and... Fried chicken. It's like, <laughs> so we don't. We don't really have. Uh, it's a lot a, of work for you. Yeah, but but here I think people understand the value of quality food, and of, and, and it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't hard for them to understand the principles. But I think just like America is is declining in health, so is Europe, and so is the rest of the world because we're basically America has exported the worst parts of our culture to the rest of the world. And not just food, but everything.
0: After the retreat, so you could keep the food diet, but intravenous and the rest, it would be harder to continue back home. So, so some
1: things are harder to do. And the, and the idea for this program, is a very intensive reset, right? But what I, my goal with the program is to help people identify how they feel when they take away all the things that Potentially are harmful and add in the good things and so they most people think oh this is normal I'm supposed to be achy tired my desk gest- a little digestive issues I have allergies like joint pain I don't sleep so good and you know my mood is up and down this is normal and this is just aging which is not true so the goal is to get them to feel what it feels like to actually feel good and then they get to choose how they want to live after, right? And, and many of the therapies are available if they want in their communities, whether it's IV therapy or ozone or things like that. But, but most of the time, just a basic lifestyle, things are going to be 80 to 90% of what they need.
0: The basic therapies are usually 80% of what people need, says Mark. Time to ask some questions to Dr. Mark Hyman about the food system in general and about himself. He is the chairman of the Food Fix campaign, an education and advocacy campaign committed to fighting the chronic disease epidemic in the United States. I ask Mark if eating well was reserved for privileged people.
1: No, I mean, I think I think in America, it's, it's you know, there's a lot of perspective that it's expensive and elitist to eat well, and I think yes, there's certain you know, if you want to have you know very expensive cuts of meat or very expensive things, yes, but but the truth is, you can eat a whole food, real food diet even on a budget, and the many many studies have proven this. Maybe it's the same price, maybe it's fifty cents more a day, and I've worked with communities of of color, uh, very. Rural communities, very underserved communities, living in food deserts, and I was so shocked at how they were able to just following simple principles of how to choose real food that they were able to actually do very well and, and to be able to afford it. So, what are the cheapest cuts of meat? What are the cheapest cuts of, of what are the cheapest vegetables and fruit and nuts and seeds? So, how can we incorporate that in a way that's affordable? I mean, chicken liver is a great example. When I was living in New York, when I was a young boy, my mother was was a teacher, we were very poor, we lived in one bedroom apartment, my sister and I shared a bedroom, my mother slept on the couch, and for dinner we'd have chicken livers and onions, which actually is one of the healthiest meals you could have because you know, if you have wow, organic good chicken- Wow, the
0: iron or, a, yeah? Yeah,
1: I mean, if you look at, for example, if you go online and Google liver, and the, the best vegetables you can imagine, and the nutrient density, the liver is like quantum levels above any vegetable in terms of the nutrition, <laughs> which is, you know, Vitamins and iron and many things. So I think you can you can choose foods that are inexpensive and yet very helpful.
0: Because you're talking about your, uh, it's very interesting of your parents and your for your mother and uh, when you were a child. What led you onto onto this mission of uh, <laughs> feeding the
1: world well? You know, well, you mentioned that you live in Barcelona. I was born in Barcelona. Really, my oh. parents are from New York, but they moved to Europe for 11 years after World War II, and they missed the whole. Industrialization of the food system which happened after World War two in America And so they reached the shopping at the vegetable market the fruit market the meat market the cheese maker the so they went to all The, the markets and and they learned to buy consumer food The refrigeration wasn't much so they they would buy everyday fresh food And so my my grandmother had a very simple idea. She said buy fresh eat fresh a very simple principle uh, and, and my mother then learned that and she also learned was a great cook and we had a garden when I was growing up in the in even in a suburban environment where I grew up we had a garden we had fruit trees So I was very used to that she always made fresh food So I was sort of learned about it and then I, I was very much interested in health and well-being even when I was younger I uh, had a great gym teacher that you know, in the eighth grade who showed us all these movies of people who are like 100 years old who are running and exercising and healthy, and I was like, okay. And then I studied nutrition at college. I lived with a nutritionist uh, who was a PhD student at Cornell, and he introduced me to more of the sort of science around nutrition and some of the thinking. I read a book called Nutrition Against Disease back in the 1970s, 80s, which really was a thinking about how do we use food to heal disease.
0: When you moved at uh, four years old to the U.S., what was the impact on the family's cooking?
1: When I was a child, like my mother even started to incorporate some of these industrial foods, like TV dinners and uh, Tang, which was like a kind of a drink that was for astronauts. It was like orange juice, but it was just fake orange juice, or certain kinds of foods like margarine, which everybody would say was healthy and which is a poison. You know, so we had some of that, but for the most part, we ate fresh food every night. My mother cooked every night. We didn't eat packaged food. And now, you know, it's pretty much the average person is just only eating factory food. Food is produced at a factory. And so uh, the joke is, Michael Pollan says, if it was grown on a plant, you can eat it. If it was made in a plant, meaning a factory, you shouldn't eat it.
0: <laughs> yes. That's a good one. Um, supplements, do we really need uh, them? I've always been like a bit uh, skeptical, but uh, then I took magnesium and uh, when I was a bit stressed and magic, magic. happened,
1: yeah. Yeah. So, uh,
0: but which one is a bit confusing, which one to yeah. take, uh, are they concealing each other?
1: Uh, well, I always say that you, nobody should take supplements, but they have to follow certain conditions, right? One, they have to hunt and gather their own wild food, drink only pure, clean water, have no chronic stress, be exposed to no environmental toxins. They need to go to the sleep with the sun, wake up to the sun. And if that's you, then no, you don't need supplements. <laughs> but everybody else should take them. It's
0: such because, a person? Yeah,
1: yeah, because if you, if you look at the nutritional density of hunter-gatherers, the, there was so much more nutrition in the food. They ate wild plants, which are very nutrient dense. They had 150 grams of fiber. They had diets rich in omega-3 fats. They were out running around outside if they lived in cold climates, were eating a lot of wild, wild fish, like fatty fish, which is full of vitamin D, for example. So they had exposure to all the things that they needed to thrive. Now, you know, most of us live and work inside. We're exposed to a lot of in- environmental toxins. The quality of the food, even, even vegetables, the soil is so depleted of, of organic matter that they can't extract the nutrients for the plants. So today, if you eat broccoli, it's 50% less nutritious than it was 50 years ago. So the answer is yes. I think people need basically a multivitamin, And mineral supplement fish oil and vitamin d and most people will need magnesium because about 45 percent of people are deficient in magnesium So, like you said you felt so much better it was like a miracle and so those i think are just basic things that people should take as a foundational part of their their health support system and i think most of us if we look in america and i don't know the data in europe but the government does a nutrition analysis uh, study called the NHANES study and they found that over 90% of Americans are deficient in one or more nutrients at the minimum level To prevent deficiency disease. So like 10% of Americans Are, are not getting enough vitamin C to prevent scurvy, you know okay. 80% are deficient in vitamin D 90 plus percent are deficient in omega-3 fats 45% deficient in magnesium So folate probably about the same. So we, we, we really do need to actually take these basic foundational nutrients.
0: It's now time for the harvest of the day. Dr. Mark Hyman has testified before the White House worked with President Clinton and the Clinton Global Initiative, as well as with the World Economic Forum on Global Health Issues. But if the actual President of the U.S. asked him to do something to improve the United States' health, what would he do what would be his first step here is his answer
1: i actually have started a nonprofit and i wrote a book about this called food fix how to save our health our economy our communities and our planet one bite at a time and i thought a lot about this and i have a nonprofit that actually is working with the government and the congress and the white house right now to change all this if i were to make one change it would be this to make sure that every single food policy and agricultural policy is designed to produce the highest quality, nutrient-dense food. So, if, if that's true, then we couldn't spend seventy-five billion dollars on junk food with our food stamp program, which is a benefit for the poor. We wouldn't be growing corn, soy, and wheat that's turned into industrial ingredients. We would be creating soil that's rich in nutrients and organic matter to provide more nutrient-dense food. So we would change everything along the whole continuum of the food system if we focused on this one principle, that everything we produce, everything we create, and everything we eat should be the highest quality most nutrient-dense food.
0: I must say, uh, you must have a lot of uh, powerful enemies. In the I don't um, have any in the food industry? <laughs> I don't
1: have
0: any some big American brands are not even American, but some big uh, brands that like have a lot of sugar and uh, junk food. Do you know them today? They... I
1: do, I do. In fact, I, I, one of them is a good friend of mine who's the head of a major soda company who's actually Turkish. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was I came first to Kapankaya with him. And, really, yeah. okay. So I, I think you know I think you know most people are well-intentioned and want to do the right thing. Some of them have legacy businesses that need to be changed. For example, Nestle, which is a Swiss company, uh, is the biggest food company in the world, and uh, they've recently agreed to make 80% of their supply chain from regenerative agriculture, which means that they're going to change the quality of their food, they're going to support agriculture to grow the right food, and and companies like Danone and uh, General Mills are helping farmers in America to switch from traditional agriculture to regenerative agriculture. So we have a lot of hope I see in the food industry. I think they're trying to get out of their legacy products and create new products or buy up businesses that are producing better products. So if you look at the food industry, there's maybe nine or 10 companies that are the mega companies that, you know, like PepsiCo and Nestle and Mondelez and and so forth that are all producing most of the food that we're eating in the world or that are... not producing, but that are that are that are the big food companies, but they've also bought up all these other smaller brands that you wouldn't know are their company. Right. Yes, so they're yeah. they're the healthy brands.
0: Water right? and yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think besides even water, they're producing all kinds of healthier ingredients, they're taking out all the junk. They're they're trying to meet the demand in the marketplace for healthier, higher quality food. So they're just shifting their portfolio of products and trying to incorporate that. It's still a small percent of their overall volume. The problem is, is the way the most profit is is buying the cheapest ingredients and then the markup is so huge.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode and Mark Hyman's explanations about functional medicine. If you did, please leave us a good review. You can also follow us on Instagram, Harvest Series. The next episode will be with Camilla Fayette, passionate about health, environment and sustainability will also talk about food as she's the owner of pharmacy kitchen in london a restaurant with a plant-based menu until next time